lytter til Radio Rackham. Det franske tegneseriemarked er absolut det største i Europa. Og vi kigger dette afsnit nærmere på salgstal, festivaler og en tegneseriekultur, der ikke kan andet end at imponere. Der er en omsætning på godt 900 millioner euro. Jeg hedder Frederik Storm, med mig har jeg Mathias Wivel, og så har vi også den franske tegneserieanalytiker Xavier Gebert, som i flere år har udgivet sin årlige rapport om tingens tilstand og kigget nærmere på tallene bag det franske tegneseriemarked. Han giver os det store overblik og indsigt, og til sidst i afsnittet, ja, så vil han også anbefale nogle af de bedste nye franske tegneserier, som du skal læse. Men allerførst vil vi lige bede ham om at introducere sig selv. I'm Xavier Gilbert, I'm French. Uh, I'm, I've been writing on comics for a long time, probably 20 years. Uh, I think more. More, probably, yeah, maybe more. Uh, yeah, maybe closer to 25. I'd say I'm kind of a, you know, the fan turn pro in a way. Uh, I, I still don't know exactly where my where I stand uh, towards the uh, the entire industry. I, I just become very active in different uh, areas, so uh, I I write. I I still kind of uh, keep uh, a website active, which is Dunaf. Uh, not as active as I would like to, but yeah, uh, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. Uh, I write for a uh, quarterly uh, magazine on manga called Atom. Uh, and I've been very active with the uh, Angoulême Festival over the past years. I'm, uh, I've curated exhibitions, uh, not just by myself, but with, uh, with friends on uh, major Japanese artists. So uh, Tezuka, Matsumoto Taiyo, Tsuge, Mizuki, and Ikigami, those are the five. Uh, so major exhibitions, major, major retrospectives. Uh, I'm also part of the, the uh, selection committee for Angoulême. Uh, and I've been also uh, writing on the uh, the state of the comic market. I wrote a, uh, a big study on the state of the comic market between uh, 2010 and 2020 for the uh, Centre National de Livre. So that's an institution that's uh, supposed to promote you know, books and reading uh, in France. So it's uh, it's part of our uh, Ministry of Culture. And uh, so they, uh, I approached them and said, yeah, I would be interested. So it's, uh, it's a huge document. There's about close to 200 pages. And uh, it's uh, one of the most in-depth uh, analysis of the evolution of the market, uh, comic book markets in France uh, over the uh, past decade. I just want to say in terms of Rackham, which, uh, you know, it, in some ways, when we started Rackham, which is like 20-some years ago now, like 2000, I was looking at websites, and I found Duneuf. And I just to, to tell our readers, Duneuf means news of the news of the ninth art, right? It's like a, it's a pun. Um, and it's du9.org. So you all got to go check that. But that website was already active when we was trying to start a website. And I just thought, you know, this is this is what we want to do. This is the kind of thing we want to do. Uh, in Denmark, you know, we, we looked at your website. It was an inspiration at that time. And this is now many years ago. And our, our website, I don't know how long it lasted, six years or something. <laughs> well, something like that, not even. And yours is still going. It's amazing. It, it In this time of social media and all this, uh, to still have a website that is being updated is, is quite, a, quite something and updated with quality material. And I will say to our listeners that uh, there's actually even people who don't read French, 
there is quite a lot of content in English as well on your website. So I encourage everybody to take a look at it. It's uh, it's it's amazing, an amazing resource with interviews and reviews going back 25 years or whatever it is, like exactly, but something like that. Uh, and one of the the, the, the the features that already back then was very eye-catching and you didn't get anywhere else, uh, at, at least not in, in Europe, uh, was the numerology that you did. Uh, I can't remember how often, was, was it once a month or it was a recurring what feature. Was that, what was the uh, numerology? That was uh, like a market analysis based on stats. Ah, okay. yeah. It was a yearly, uh, a yearly thing. Uh, so I did it every year. Whenever we had figures, so that was around the Angolan Festival in yeah, January. Yeah, it was around so, the festival, uh, that's right. So I started in 2006, I think. And I did it yearly until 2014. So that's nine years in a row. And then I had some problems with uh, getting access to the figures, which led me to the uh, the report I was mentioning, uh, you know, the, the, the big study uh, from 2010 yeah, yeah. to 2020. That was a way for me to catch up with uh, all those years I had missed because all of a sudden the access to the figures were uh, became more complicated. It was it was like required reading for anybody, and it was it was great. It was like always priming to go to, go to Angoulême. You like you'd get that, uh, and and this is just to say that you have many years of experience analyzing market market figures and and seeing the market through numbers, and being skeptical of those numbers, which is also very helpful. So we hope to get some of that wisdom from you today about you know the current market. But uh, since you know we have just. Uh, come out like it, it is Angoulême it was, has just been Angoulême time and a lot has happened there and you were very involved so I, I just want to get a sense of what the festival is like this year for us who could only participate vicariously from abroad well it was a special edition because it was the 50th edition so basically uh just for the uh the symbol uh it was important it was also uh the first edition where we went back to what was normal because there was an edition last year, which was in March. So everybody was really happy because Angoulême in January is very cold, uh, as you well know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in March, it was really nice because everybody was outside having drinks, uh, you know, and uh, the, the days were longer. So all of a sudden, everybody was saying, well, March is really nice. Well, why do we <laughs> stick to uh, January? So this year was back to January. But the thing last year was... There were still the the edition in uh, 2020 had uh, 2021 had been uh, cancelled because of COVID, and in 2022 it had been postponed from uh, January to March because of COVID again. And uh, the thing is that even last year uh, it was still under uh, the constraints of COVID because, uh, for example, there were no people from Japan or very little uh, people, so no Japanese uh, authors being invited, and uh, a lot of American authors who had been invited didn't come because of COVID. Yeah, this is uh, Chris Square was there because he had a show, but basically it was something that he did and he was wearing a mask all over time and being very cautious about that. Uh, everybody was happy to be there because for a lot of, uh, of uh, French people, it was the first festival they were actually going back to. So there was this kind of get together and having fun together and being really happy to be together. Just, just the fact being together, it was really interesting because I moderated quite a lot of talks during that festival and every talk was people just being happy to be there. And every talk went smoothly. There, I never had any kind of author, you know, being a little bit grumpy and not being, you know, people laughing, joking and joking and just being, yeah, enjoying being back in business in a way. But this year, Everything was 
back to normal. We had the Japanese uh, authors coming over. Everything was back to uh, January, and it was the 50th. So uh, there was this kind of, uh, uh, you know, importance of the event. And uh, basically, I think the festival, the show kind of blew everybody's expectations off in the sense that it was crowded like we had, you know, I, I've been going to, uh, my first Angoulême was in 2003, I think. So that's about 20 years ago. And I've never seen the streets so crowded. Uh, the problem with Angoulême is uh, Angoulême is a small city in the, in the, uh, uh, I wouldn't say in the countryside, but yeah, it's fairly fairly away from the big metropolis. So uh, the festival itself is not a single place. It's plenty of places scattered throughout the city. Uh, it, there's a real problem of finding uh, venues where you can actually set, you know, have exhibitions, having people gather around. So people are mulling around from places. So just just doing a count is nearly impossible. So mm. there's been very varying. And the it, festival's it, official numbers are very suspect. They're suspect. The thing that it's uh, it's held over four days. Uh, yeah. So uh, how do you count people coming? Do you count people, uh, you know, people per day, individual people? It's just impossible. Uh, to be honest, just from the start, it's kind of an impossible uh, figure to obtain. But indeed, the... Uh, the the numbers that have been circulated at one point were very suspicious. I don't think they are uh, releasing any kind of uh, uh, of uh, figures uh, of, over those past years. It's more, yeah, it was a success. But basically, when you had people queuing up like for three hours just to go visit an exhibition in the show, it shows that. I mean, it's tens of thousands of people. people. It's tens yeah, of thousands of people. Right. Basically, uh, it's impossible to find a. a the biggest uh, comic festival in Europe. Yeah. yeah, the biggest you, in France, the biggest in Europe, and one of the big cultural events uh, in France. Yeah, and I and I think that what sets it apart from the other shows is that uh, not necessarily the crowds, but the what is on offer for the visitors, because you've got like between usually between ten and fifteen exhibitions that are there, and most of them are just there for the four days of well five days if you count the professional day, but basically. They open on uh, on Wednesday and they close on Sunday. They get you know taken down. So you've got those incredible shows, incredible uh, structures that are just built for five days and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got like ten to fifteen exhibitions. You've got hundreds of uh, of panels of talks. So uh, everybody's waiting for what they call the hour per hour. So you've got a a, a listing of what is happening day after day, hour after hour, and then you try and, and maximize what you can do when you're when you go there because you've got the uh, the international uh, panels where you've got those uh, the authors are coming and uh, usually you know it's always very uh, very impressive uh, rooster of uh, of uh, invited authors so uh, yeah it's it, it's very very uh, impressive I, I was with uh, with a couple of. Uh, uh americans uh, like three years ago and they were saying well this is really the mecca it's it's not yeah, it, yeah. It, it, in terms of what is on display what is available for people it's it's uh a really unlike anything you can find in the world probably and it's become very international i mean it it, it does have a lot of north american uh and, and from other parts of the world and obviously the japanese comics have become like a major major part of it and you've been very involved in that this year with an Ikigami Ryuchi uh, exhibition, mm -hmm. uh, the author of Crying Freeman and, and, and so on. Um, 
how was that? Like, uh, you've been very involved in that. Like, getting, I mean, because there's been sort of like before there, there were sort of attempts at doing manga there, but it's been really a major presence at the festival in my, in the years I haven't been there. It's been very frustrating. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it started off, I think, with, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of change at the uh, at the top of the organization of the festival, but I think that Stéphane Bourgeon, uh, who's been uh, the creative director for uh, four, four years, I think, was definitely a force uh, in, in that. Uh, started off with the Kamimura exhibition, Kamimura Kazuo, of Lady Snowblood uh, fame. And uh, then uh, we start, we worked together on uh, the uh, the uh, Osamu Tezuka's retrospective, which was actually the uh, the biggest retrospective since the one that had been in Tokyo in 1990, right after his death. Uh, and then we followed through with uh, the year we had uh, the Osamu Tezuka show. There was an exhibition for uh, Naoki Urasawa, so that 20th century boys uh, a monster. Uh, Billy Bat and the like, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there was another one for Mashima, who's the author of Fairy Tale. So basically, we had something for uh, Shonen, very mainstream, then Seinen, and a little bit more adult, and uh, Osamu Tezuka, which was uh, kind of the patrimonial, the vintage manga. So, uh, and that the kind of thing that uh, uh, has been more or less present uh, since uh, this year, for example, we had Ikegami. So Ikegami has been in the business for uh, 60 years. Uh, he made his debut in 1962, so basically uh, that was quite a chunk of work. Then there was an exhibition on uh, Junji Ito, uh, horror master yeah. again, somebody who's got uh, quite a few years, yeah, yeah, Spiral, Tomie, and mm. the like. And then there was a, a an exhibition on uh, Attack on Titan. So that's yeah. more on the on the mainstream side. Uh, so again, uh, really dealing with the entire kind of offer with all three authors who were present on the festival and uh, and it was uh you know the the um the publisher for uh Junji Ito had to hire a bodyguard because <laughs> uh, to to just make sure that they could uh you know they could travel safely and they were saying that uh, you know for the first two days it was okay and then they just moved using vans because otherwise they uh, they kept being stopped in the street for people asking for you know photograph or whatever so it it, it became entirely impractical for them to to go anywhere uh with ito so uh, that shows a uh, kind of the the ecos the kind of things i've had I, I should also mention that xavier i mean which should be obvious from our conversation but like xavier masters the three great languages of comics french english and japanese which is not many people are able to do all three so this is uh this is another um, reason why we're talking to you. You mentioned yeah, a lot of manga, um, and uh, as I understand, manga is uh, manga is quite big in France. It, it's quite interesting, seen from a Danish perspective, where manga isn't isn't that big. The French manga, uh, the French comic market is uh, fairly big in terms of uh, turnover. So I'm going to uh, in terms of value, it's just under one billion euros. Uh, mm. per year uh in terms of sales uh it's 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 a bit tricky to say because basically we're uh 2021 and 2022 were record years yeah and basically between 2020 and 2021 the market doubled and it's mostly because of manga 
So that's oh, that's one amazing. thing. So there's this incredible dynamic. So basically, we had a market which was around, in terms of copies sold, about uh, 45, 46 million copies a year. And now we're around 85 million copies a year. And basically, in terms of value, it's the same kind of thing. So half a billion to uh, close to a billion. So, uh, and this has been, you know, everybody was uh, looking at 2021 as being the post-COVID year. So it was expected for people to be uh, spending a little more. But 2022 has been kind of the same level. So there's a little coming back to normal. But basically, we uh, there's definitely been a change in the way the uh, the market is uh and just so in the of, market has doubled in how long and like since when between 2020 and 2021 it's amazing like yeah it's just yeah. incredible and just to, to give you a perspective about one book sold in four in france is a comic book and wow. one book sold in seven is a manga and this is all books and i'm talking all books absolutely it's, and it's incredible. uh yeah, and, this and thing what, about manga being like such a wave, like it's as if because you've had manga before. I mean, there's been manga around for you know what thirty years more probably. But like, and there was a initial wave back with Dragon Ball and all these things came mm -hmm. out in the early noughts, uh, came out in, in in English and French and whatever. Um, but why is this slump and why is it coming back? Uh, I wouldn't call it such as a slump because basically uh, the slump was they went for from being about one book in uh, you know thirty three percent of uh, of uh, overall comic book sales to maybe twenty five. So it it wasn't it was more a readjustment. Basically, okay. we had uh, the history of manga goes back, but if we look at really commercial success kind of thing, it starts off with uh, Akira in uh, yeah. in the nineteen nineties, and then there's a first very you know real attempt in uh, the mid 90s and the first big boom is about 2005 where all of a sudden uh, all major publishers are saying okay this manga is selling we we have to have our 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 series so basically naruto begins in france being published in uh, uh, i think it's 2002 uh, then One Piece is not far away, and uh, all major publishers have their, their manga imprint by 2005. In 2005, basically, about a third of uh, sold comic, comic book solds in France are manga. So it's already big. And then does it remain bit, that big? It, it remains big, and then there's a bit of a slump around uh, 2014, 2015. And there's a reason for that. It's uh, because this uh, uh, initial boost is fueled by the fact that uh, there were a lot of books, uh, volumes already published in Japan. So the publishers started publishing them very quickly. So it wasn't as mm. quick as uh, Viz might have done in oh, the US. Right, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically, it was on a... a uh, bi-monthly uh, uh, rhythm so six books sometimes seven books a year uh, and and that was the reason why manga was so efficient I mean in terms of it's, uh, it's, it was bringing back the periodical format but in in bookstores and that was proof hugely efficient and what are the big titles people are reading uh, at the time, there were three uh, free titles. Basically, it was Naruto, which was huge. Uh, One Piece was second, and then Fairy Tale. 
Dragon Ball had been big and it's kind of an evergreen franchise. It's still staying very strong. It was uh, lagging between, be, behind those three, which represented about a third of the old manga sold. So basically it was very concentrated. And what happened in uh, around 2011 or 12 is that the French publication ca caught up with the uh, Japanese publication. Yeah. So all of a sudden you go from six Naruto's a year to only four or three. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. you see, you see, uh, it, it's just mathematical. I mean, you, 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 your cells just stop, uh, and that could have been, uh, you know, a sign of weakness of the market. But in fact, it proved to be a boon for the market in the sense that all of a sudden you had people who were into manga who had disposable income because they were not buying the six volumes but just free, so they could buy other frees, free, you know, other mangas. And the uh, publishers had the three slots where they could explore things. And so it's, we had a slump in the sales, but at the same time, it was building for the future. And what we've seen is that we've seen the market coming from that place around the, between 2005 and 2010, basically, with only three bestsellers to today's situation where we've got seven or eight big sellers. Uh, those being One Piece, uh, My Hero Academia, uh, um, uh, what else? Uh, Naruto is still very strong. Spy, Spy X uh, Family. The Spy Family is a yeah. huge uh, recent success, but we had Jujutsu Kaisen, Demon Slayer, uh, Attack on Titan, and those like this. I mean, it's uh, basically it's allowed uh, the market to diversify and not rely just on free properties, but on seven. And uh, and that is much healthier, but also that was a, a reason for, uh, you know, growing up. And it's almost all shown in manga. It's uh, hugely. I mean, I mean, uh, seventy-five percent of all manga souls are shown in manga. The shown in manga. What is what kind of manga is that? Shonen means young boy. Yeah. Young boy. It's the Japanese demographic that is targeted theoretically at boys aged ten to fifteen, and you've got the the girl equivalent which is called shoujo and then you've got seinen which means adult basically uh there's plenty of different kind of uh, of categories it's very difficult to actually translate them in in france because every publi publishes adapted for example uh, uh in japan technically attack on titan is published in a shonen magazine it's called besatsu shonen magazine so it's a, it's really shonen magazine but it's one of those shonen where uh 80 of the readership is about 20 above 20 mm. years old so basically it's not strictly censor a a, a a shonen it's called shonen but it's not shonen in any way and when it was important in france it's been published as a seinen uh so Basically, it's trying, uh, the, the fans are asking for those kind of categories. So we're using them, but we're using them in ways that are not uh, exactly the way that uh, the uh, right. the Japanese do. And that's a point of contention for some, uh, some uh, fans. Does this mean um, that since I think, you know, you said something uh, before we started recording that about 30 out of the 50 top selling comics in France are manga, and most of those, if not all of those, are shonen. Does that mean that it's that it's mostly uh, like boys who read them? Like, wh who's the readership? Are there just uh, fewer? Is there an untapped market for girl like for girls who just not like the shoujo has not really, in the same way, broken through? Uh, the shoujo has not broken through yet. Uh, the thing is that. Uh, 
It's it's what my 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 wife calls the uh, the blue syndrome. It's basically when you get uh, sales at a store for uh, you know kids kids uh, kids clothes. Uh, the only clothes that are left at the end of the sale are the pink, uh, mm. the pink clothes. Because if you got a boy, you're gonna buy blue instead of pink. If you got a girl, you're gonna buy blue or pink. So basically, mm. the only thing that's left is pink, and that's something that you uh, can see also in Japan. Basically, there I found there's a, a readership study where they they they're looking at the amount of boys reading this or that kind of magazine, and same for girls. And what you can see is that uh, for magazine magazines that are uh, shonen magazines or or seinen magazine targeted at men, uh, you've got a certain amount of women who are actually reading them. If you go for uh, girl magazine or women targeted magazines there's zero men so basically if it's a a, a shoujo or a jose or whatever a category you're so targeted at women magazine no guy is going to uh, be caught red-handed reading that but mm. the, the the reverse is okay so what what is what it is that um there are a lot of girls who are reading uh, shonen manga, uh, less boys who are reading shoujo, basically. Right. And uh, one thing that I want to to say that here is that for a long time it's been uh, there's been always been the question of uh, manga uh, comic book reading being more of a of a boys thing than uh, than a girls thing. Uh, and a lot of people have, have been saying, well, with, with manga suddenly uh, women are starting to read comics. And unfortunately, looking at what the, the few numbers we have on the over long period of time doesn't seem to have any kind of effect uh, regarding that. That is the level of readership still remains at basically 40% girls, 60% boys. Uh, more yeah. or less, uh, yeah. from what we have, we have additional studies on uh, on comic book readerships uh, going back to 1980, I think, and uh, I've looked at that, and and it never changes, even if uh, you look at the last one, which was done. In, so girl uh, readership has not changed. No, no, it doesn't change. It's and the, the same that, since 1980. It's yeah, and I've looked at that because because the, you can rank them by intensity, whether they are big readers or you know occasional readers. And if you look at that, there's no change in the structure. So you have still the same amount of big uh, big readers right. among women uh, as uh, twenty uh, you know twenty or forty years ago. So it's kind of a strange thing because it's kind of counterintuitive because you think well there's more things that should appeal to them, but then again. It doesn't show in the numbers. And many and, more uh, women creators as well today. Oh uh, yes, there are too. Uh, yeah. But that, you know, and, uh, so maybe it's something that has that that's going to take time to come up, come up. Uh, the thing that uh, it's the same with um, with manga. It's you know you've got a very light signal uh, that you have to look at. Basically, if you look at uh, the French readership at the moment, what they read mostly is albums. So that is the Franco-Belgian tradition. But basically, uh, it's not. If you look in the detail, you can realize that the younger generation reads exclusively manga, but sometimes they didn't read some about because, you know, they're there or they're, you know, uh, mm -hmm. they're not so invested in that, but they end up reading them nevertheless. So if you look at readership, yes, they're reading it, but it's not the thing that they're going to be stick with. And um, uh, in France, reading comics has always been a uh, kind of uh, educated crown, uh, crowd uh, kind of uh, leisure. So whenever mm -hmm. you're looking at uh, the, the thing uh, of... Uh, 
you know, there's this myth that you read comic books because you're not intelligent enough or educated enough to read real books. And that at one point, if you, you, you get, uh, uh, you know, educated enough, then you can graduate to real books and real literature. In fact, the figures show completely the, uh, the, the opposite is that you have to be educated before you read comic books. And it's always been this kind of linked, whenever you look at comic book readers in France, they're always big readers of literature. And uh, and it's always been linked with, uh, with the white collar kind of, uh, of classes. And what we have with manga is that all of a sudden we're getting back, we see those feeble signs of, uh, of the indication that this is maybe the, the, uh, the creation of a real mainstream culture that is actually recruiting in blue collar uh, kind of, uh, of, uh, of population. Wow. So something okay. very interesting yeah. in the fact that, uh, yeah, you know, it was, it used to be kind of a highbrow uh, culture, even though it's, it, it claims it's not that there's this mm -hmm. kind of interesting contradiction. Everybody's saying, well, the comic books shouldn't be too ambitious because they're, they're just leisure, you know, as they are just entertainment. So that's a thing, but they're read by, uh, they're usually read by a, uh, uh, very educated people and now with manga we're suddenly actually getting to that and creating this kind of a, a real uh, uh, I mean real mainstream culture and it's interesting because uh, the CNL which I was talking about you know the the National Center for Books uh, uh, which tries to promote books is seeing that as a, as a way in it's like a Trojan horse for getting people to read because all of a sudden manga shows this incredible power of reaching out to people who um, all the other initiatives that they might have in uh, in the past couldn't reach, and all of a sudden we got people actually going into uh, you know into bookstores, discovering bookstores, and coming back and, and being very uh, you know very invested in books. Is it also being used in schools more for that reason? Yeah, they're trying to do that. It's still very difficult because uh, the thing is that the population is uh, only evolves. Uh, slowly, so uh, basically you 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 have to talk to uh, to teachers who are sometimes you know they're in the fifties or sixties and they 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 have never been trained with that they don't know it's not part of the culture so basically mm -hmm. there's some kind of a of a pullback uh, about that I I think the, the 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 more we progress it's exactly the same thing we had with uh, with manga manga was where was looked as a as a sub subculture or sub literature you know uh, being violent gross crass and whatever you want uh, you know sexual uh, all those bad things uh, so uh, it, it sounds like seduction of the innocent at the moment yeah. so but yeah. basically that's that having this kind of uh, super bad influence of on on, on the youth and uh, but I think that the more we progress, the more you have people who have read manga being young and who don't see what the problem is with, and we're going to uh, a much larger acceptance, I think. And, and we are actually looking at young readers here. I mean, the, the, the growth in the market is young readers. Oh, yeah. Primarily. Definitely. Like, they're not just on their screens. They are actually reading comics. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the thing is that we have... Uh, there's a dispositive that was uh, put up by the Ministry of Culture uh, last year, which is called the Pass Culture. So the Pass Culture basically is we want to get uh, young people to uh, invest, to explore culture. And we know that money is a problem. So every uh, French citizen, uh, well, yeah, they become citizen because they turn 18. At 18, they have a credit of 300 euros, which they can spend 
on uh, whatever cultural product they want. Uh, so they have an app, the app, uh, you, and they can go. You can go to a bookstore, use the app, and buy the thing, and and it's and you're using that credit, and you get 300 euros, which you can spend wherever you want, and that's been used hugely uh, successful. Uh, but uh, there was a uh, an article in Livre Hebdo, which is kind of the professional uh, uh, magazine on books and uh, and uh, all the editorial sector, uh, which gave off the uh, the best selling brands uh, for the uh, the past culture and i think uh, 16 of the top 20 were manga and the first mm -hmm. one was one piece and and by far and basically they were representing a huge amount so basically you had young people who were using that uh, access to culture to buy a manga because that's what they wanted so much that the uh, the past was quickly dubbed the past manga Right. Everybody was saying, "Well, it explains why the man mangas are so successful. You get you get three hundred euros to government go subsidies for manga. <laughs> yeah, and there's subsidies for manga, and they should buy real culture, you know. Yeah. And it went up to uh, to the French Assembly, where uh, you know the the uh, uh, the Parliament, where people were uh, basically it was people from the the uh, the far right, from the uh, Rassemblement National, so uh, uh, far right yeah, yeah. Uh, extremists, who are saying, "Well, we want them to buy real." Uh, real culture, you know, That's sort of ironic. music, opera, and theater. Yeah, and all the things were... they usually hate. Yeah, and and all of a sudden people were saying, no, you know, there's uh, plenty of good manga, and uh, so well, the thing was struck down, but it was it, it showed the kind of eco that had uh, because it's uh, manga has become such a big thing in France. So the other thing that I'm noticing, you you've on your Twitter feed, you've you've published a, a top fifty of the best-selling comics last year, and. Uh, We'll provide a link to that in a on a, on on Nomani and and on our Instagram and ever everywhere else um, that we publish. But uh, the two best-selling comics are not manga, and they're not uh, what Danish readers might expect. They're not the the latest new adventures of Blake and Mortimer or something. That's all the way down at number four. So they are Le Monde Sans Fin. Uh, World Without End, which is uh, Christophe Blain uh, and what's the, the author, Jankovici, uh, the mm -hmm. author. It's a it's a documentary comic about climate change. That's the best-selling comic of the year with over half a million copies sold. And then it's, of course, La Rap du Futur, the, the Framtidens Araba, as it's called in Danish, volume six, which came out quite late in the year by Riyad Satouf, of course, who also won the... Um, uh, who, yeah, who, who was who won the 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 Grand Prix in, in Angoulême this year, uh, the the big the biggest honor a comic a cartoonist can can receive a comic book cartoonist because it can receive, and that's like three hundred thousand, almost three hundred thousand copies from the like, when was it, it came out in November or something? Uh, November twenty third. Yeah, so three hundred thousand copies. Just, yeah, just one month. <laughs> I mean, of sales. So so what we're looking at here uh, are two graphic novels at the top of the list. Not genre comics. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we have manga. The rest of the list is mostly manga. But even above the manga, do you have those two? Can you say something about that? Well, it's a, it's a um, it's a change. Uh, basically, we've got the market being uh, changing a lot over those past years. And I've looked it up. Uh, you know, looking at the those those recent years, it's been a change uh, with manga becoming big. That's one thing. But also in terms of um, uh, both what is uh, you know comic book targeted at at kids, 
and uh, this uh, genre stuff that is more adult, uh, there's been big changes. So uh, talking about things uh, targeted at kids, if you're looking at the best-selling franchise over the past five years, it's not Asterix. If there's no Asterix had two books released and they both sold over uh, you know two million copies, it's uh, a series of books called Mortal Adele. And it mm -hmm. sells... Uh, I just have to look at the. It sold. It's number seven here, I think. Yeah, but but they, they they have like twenty four books, and they sold a million more than Asterix, a million copies more than Asterix over the past five years. So Asterix sold uh, close to eight million copies over the past five years. So that's everything combined, you know, back uh, the back catalog and the new stuff, and the Mortal Adel is close to nine million copies. Wow. What, kind of five years. what kind and of comic is that? And it's it's a uh, it's it's a one page uh, gag uh, story uh, with a uh, with a young uh, girl who's uh, very uh, antisocial. So basically, uh, she hates her parents. She hates uh, everybody around her, and uh, she uh, you know. So it's uh, it's it it it's a it's humor with humor kids. comic. Yeah, it's For a kids. humor comic. Uh, I don't think it's very good, but that's my my only my, my <laughs> personal opinion. I mean, it doesn't compare to uh, Calvin and Hobbes or, or Peanuts in any way. Uh, but it's been very, uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of uh, uh, telling kids that it's okay to uh, not be nice and to be uh, to express yourself. So I think that deep down the message is cool. Uh, yeah. But uh, and it's been hugely successful. It's been something that uh, has taken everything by storm, and I, I I think everybody was kind of surprised by how big it become. Uh, so and, and is uh, it pre-published online? Is it, it does it have a uh, no, social media presence or? No, no. It was. Uh, it started off on uh, in uh, being published in a very uh, small publisher called Tourbillon. Which then snatched up by uh, Bayard, which is the huge uh, powerhouse in France, publishing a lot of uh, of books for kids. So they bought them, and now it's being uh, some of, some of the gags are being pre-published in some of the uh, publications that they have. So it's uh, J'aime lire. So those are books targeted at kids to get them to read and stuff like that. So uh, uh, so those are magazines, but basically it's been mostly through the collections of stuff. There's no uh, online presence. Well, now they have, uh, they, they, they they did plenty of stuff. I mean, uh, there's even songs being written for Mortel Adele. So basically it's become really this kind of a cultural right. uh, success. And, um, and, and it's been huge. Uh, and that has changed the uh, kind of kids, the jeunesse, so the kid-oriented uh, comics, uh, because it's it's bigger than Asterix, which is to say a lot. Uh, and on the adult side, I think we've seen over the past years is that there's been a shift from the traditional album format to more of the graphic novels. I've looked it up, and uh, over the past 10 years, graphic novels went from being a mere few percent of the market in terms of volume sales. I'm not talking about value sales, just a number of copies sold, a couple of persons who are now representing about a third. Yeah, it's amazing. So basically, and when you were saying that Le Monde Sans Fin, The World Without Hand was the number one best-selling comic in France, it's actually in 2022, the best-selling book in France. There's no book that is close to that. It's a best-selling book. It's and what is even more mind-boggling is that it's a book that was released in 2021. 
So wow. it's not even the year of its yeah, release. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and and you have to, to take into account that comic books is a very uh, novelty, new, new, new releases driven market. Uh, even if we have, you know, things that are, but that, that's the first time in 25 years that I've been looking at the comic book markets that the, the best-selling comic book is not a, a new release in the year where it's number one. Yeah. So it, there you have it, dear reader. Like the the best selling book in France is a documentary about climate change, and it's a comic book, and it didn't even come out last year. I mean, it's it's, it's incredible. <laughs> and it I, I, don't, I don't know how you replicate that anywhere else. Like yeah. I, I, that was also something specifically French about this for me. Well, I think I think the Japanese might have that because uh, right. probably the best selling book is uh, usually One Piece and that kind of thing. No, but what what is more? But it's a documentary for grown ups yeah. about yeah, like a I, difficult topic. I, I don't like. <laughs> and it costs twenty five dollars uh, euros. It's just incredible. Uh, which is which is you know there's always been the uh, the idea that uh, manga was being successful because it was cheap. And that basically faced with the choice between a manga and a uh, and a normal comic book, a normal album. Uh, manga being about seven euros, between seven and eight euros, and the album being now around fifteen. Well, people were saying, "Well, I've got more bangs for my bucks with this one, so I'm going to go with the cheaper options." Uh, in fact, that is entirely false uh, mm. because when you look at we we had uh, some. Uh, uh, readership studies done uh, a couple of years back, and uh, I think it was tw 2019, where they looked at how, how much money a uh, album fan, so traditional comic book format fan, was spending a year. So it was about 48 euros. And the manga fan, it was 68 euros. So basically, mm -hmm. it's not a question of uh, how do you, uh, you, I'm going to take this one because it's cheaper. No, I'm going to take this one because I'm so much more interested and I'm going to spend way more on manga than uh, the normal uh, comic book uh, reader would, would spend. So it's, it's, uh, it's to give you again this, uh, this kind of, uh, of, uh, of impulse that, uh, that manga has had. And I think that uh, uh, incidentally, the COVID uh, situation also helped manga in a, in a kind of roundabout way, in the sense that we had a lot of, uh, as I was saying, the manga, the first boom was between the 1990s and the early to uh, the early noughts. Uh, but what uh, you have, uh, I think that you have a lot of uh, lapsed readers from that time mm, mm. who rediscovered uh, manga through anime. Because Netflix, for example, or even yeah. uh, you know yeah. the other platforms, streaming platforms, I've been really big on on putting out anime, and when you yeah. you know COVID, you're yeah. you're 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 at home, you have nothing else yeah. to do, you look at that, and all of a sudden you remember those things you were reading as a kid, and they're really cool. And all of a sudden, you have people coming back, and that's something that we've that we've seen also that after COVID, they had new buyers of comic books were buying a lot more wow. than the average comic book buyer because they were people who were, were uh, you know, uh, lapsed um, readers. readers who had the means to buy more comics because they, they you know, they were established. Basically, uh, the thing, if you, uh, comic readership, even in France, something that is mostly done by people under 30. So those are the people who are usually, in terms of money, uh, most pressed because you know they're not well established within life. They are, they are students. You know income is not that that uh, that easy to have. But if you suddenly you you have forty something people are getting back into 
the hobby, so to say, who are interested in uh, and become invested in manga, all of a sudden, you know, they they, they can yeah. spend much more. And that's something that we've seen. But it sounds like some of those readers also then translate into comics that are like the comics meant for grown-ups, like Le Mans Sans Fin or La Rap du Futur or, or is that a different readership? Is that the, the a readership that traditionally did not read comics as grown-ups that have turned towards the form because it's now so convincingly uh, on the level with other forms of literature or... Uh, I think it's a different readership, even though it's very difficult to have any kind of figure yeah, on that. Course, but what, what I think is that uh, on manga, you've got lapsed readers coming in. Uh, on uh, the traditional album format, you have uh, uh, a readership that is aging. Yeah. You know, people who are reading Black and Mortimer are not people who are 18. They are people like my father who uh, gets one every year and who are really happy to uh, get back because there's this nostalgia factor. So, uh, and the more Unfortunately, the more you progress and the less of those people there are because they are dying off just of uh, you know natural causes or whatever, but just mm. it's it's just uh, a, a a a state of the how things are. So basically you've got this kind of readership that is uh, that is kind of shrinking. But I think that one of the big uh, for in order to explain the 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 success of Le Mans Enfin is that you have to understand that there's been a big boom in France over the past five to 10, 10 years with what they call bande dessinée durée. So that is re, yeah. uh, reality grounded comics, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. So basically it's those documentaries, it's all, the, all those biopics and uh, not biopics, but biocomics and those kind of things yeah, that are yeah. grounded in reality that used to be the, uh, you know, the- uh, That the was ground... the avant-garde. That was the avant-garde. Yeah, the avant-garde was doing that. The 90s. That, now it's uh... been, been preempted and it's become something that was, uh, it's easy to market. Basically, yeah. when you do Le Monde Sans Fin, it's easy to market because uh, the pitch is simple. The the objective is simple. You have also uh, Le Monde Sans Fin. It's kind of perfect storm because you have also the uh, the um, the writer Jean-Marc Jancovici is uh, an activist who's kind of polemical because of his stance on uh, on nuclear power. I won't dive into that, but basically that's something that made that he had a lot of airplay. Uh, Le Monde Sans Fin comes in, becomes kind of the, the book that everybody should read because there's this kind of polemic around it. Uh, do we, Are you for or not? And to be honest, the book is rather efficient in what it does. It's not it, it's nothing stellar, but it's just, it reads well, it's well, you know, uh, and hmm. uh, Christophe Blais has this kind of, uh, uh, I mean, he, he, he's a great artist. There's a couple of very nice finds. Uh, hmm. So it becomes a book that becomes, that everybody should be reading. And uh, yeah. L'Arabe du Futur is about the same. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, I do think L'Arabe du Futur is a much more interesting work than Le Mode Sans Fin uh, because of of the way uh, Riyad Satouf tackled it. But again, it's something that in terms of the pitch, how you can sell it is really quite easy. It's uh, Riyad Satouf grew up in Syria and this mm -hmm. is his story. Yeah. And this is how it's difficult to grow up in Syria, and all of a sudden becomes something that you can, you know, quickly, uh, quickly discuss, and uh, it avoids all the problems that we often face. That is, that nobody really knows how to uh, to uh, discuss comic books. You know, right. there's uh, there's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of vocabulary. What are you going to talk about? You can talk about the story, but uh, what what makes, in my in my opinion, what sets uh, comic books aside is this the the narration the storytelling yeah, the yeah. way things are being told in a way that is not 
just you know with words there's this kind of uh, how everything right. links that is very special but it's quite <laughs> striking that the best selling comic books of this type are very word driven oh you know, yeah like la rap du futur <clears throat> or le monde sans fin it's true christophe lan is a great cartoonist in sort of his graphics but so many of these books that you describe has become a subgenre in comics this is sort of reality based comics with often quite crude drawing, often by non-cartoonists who sort of decide to draw comics and do a graphic novel, you know, and it's word-driven. I mean, not it's, it's not to knock word-driven comics. That could be great, but it's become sort of, it's much easier for a general readership. I mean, I don't know, do disagree with me if you are if, if you do, but it's, it seems like it's easier for a readership to latch on to these very narration-heavy comics with quite simple drawings. Oh, yeah. And I think that another thing that is also telling is that you have big uh, publishing houses that used to uh, publish only literature who are suddenly entering the uh, the comic book market and publishing this kind of books. I mean, yeah. Alba Michel used to have comic books in France, then they didn't have that. And they, they, they're back now and they're publi uh, publishing a lot of adaptations. I mean, there's been uh, Virginie Despentes, uh, uh, Vernon Subutex, which is a uh, uh, that has been adapted by Luz who was part of the uh, yeah, Charlie Hebdo yeah. crowd. So uh, it's, it's a very well-known uh, uh, book that's been turned into a comic book. And it's not just a, a simple comic book. The first volume is like 300 pages long and the second one's like four or 500 pages. Oh my God, Those yeah, are yeah. massive volumes and very wordy uh, adaptations. They are, it's, there are interesting things in there, but it's definitely word-driven and it's published by a publisher of literature in the first place. Yeah. So it says a lot. And we've we've had that. It's just, it, I think it's not just the readership, but also the, the editorial sector who's going also for something that is more comfortable with. Yeah. You know, having yeah, yeah. the good eye for good artists and good yeah. uh, comic book uh, storytelling requires a certain knowledge. Uh, a certain know-how, but uh, if you're a publisher of books uh, of literature, going for that kind of format is is something that is easier to uh, to deal with. I, I should just note for our listeners that we've done episodes on Franzen Sarab, Le Rap du Futur, and on Christophe Blain, not on Le Monde Saint Fin, but on Quetorcet, Yavel Herr Unionsminister, some Ikefeni Bosakiu. What comics should should um, the Danish readers look forward to reading in translation if they don't read French or okay, search uh, out in French regardless of whether they read it or not? Uh, well, I've been scratching my head because that's not so, you know, that's the kind of question that's always very difficult because you there's so many books and uh, and just... Uh, I'll be talking new books, yeah, new, yeah, new, new books. recently published. So, yeah. so I've been looked at, uh, I looked at books and I picked up three that were of interest. The first one is... Uh, Terre Rare uh, by Clément Vuillet and it's out at, uh, at a publisher that's called 2024 uh, and it's a, it's a wordless book it's a, uh, it's a guy who uh, has this very special uh, art style he's, very, he's doing very detailed views of uh, um, of nature and this one is about there's a comet I think that comes crashing down it's very beautiful, it's, it's not really Narratively speaking, it's not 
that that uh, compelling in terms of uh, uh, but but from the art part of point of view is really uh, really nice and it's uh, it's also a good way to get an, a, an idea of what 2024 is publishing because it's uh, it, they are uh, publishing those kind of books that are really well done uh, they're based in Strasbourg and they've been publishing also uh, reprints of Gustave Doré's first comic books so oh uh, God, from the 18th century yeah. and uh yeah they're really a, a a publisher to check out and i thought that this is a good uh, a good uh way to enter this uh, uh if not this one there's eden by sophie Girive, uh which is a kind of a philosophical tale with a uh it, it's it's it makes me think a little bit of a crazy cat Mm. Uh, because uh, there's a uh, there's a bear who talks with uh, uh, rocks. There's a tree, a thinking tree, a, uh, and there's a, a little menagerie of animals talking and having some very deep philosophical uh, discussions. It's beautiful. It's something that can be read by kids as it well. It looks as like adults. traditional cartooning, like simple, sort of funny animal type cartooning, very very sort of stylishly done. Right. Yeah, but but the writing is what yeah, makes it yeah, so yeah, so yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. Uh, another one. Since we were talking about uh, level uh, six one nine, there's uh, Okahe uh, by Neyev, which is a uh, a western. It's it's rather classical in a, in a way. Uh, it's a, it's a good adventure, very classical, but done with this kind of uh, of American influences we were talking about uh, recently. So I think that's a, that's an interesting one. It was uh, selected for Angoulême uh, for the Angoulême Prize. Uh, so it's 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 something that's that that's probably the most classical uh, thing that uh, that I'm going to recommend. But I, I think it's interesting just to uh, to get this. Uh, Kind of a, uh, I mean, get going in what the label uh, six one nine is doing, that could be a good entry point. There's also uh, what's sort Matt... of an American. I, I'm just looking at it here. I mean, it's sort of, it it it's sort of like trashy American genre comics remixed oh, yeah. for you know, and and I see they also do reeditions of uh, Tank Girl. Yeah, uh, they do that, and uh... Uh, they they also publish Mathieu Bablé. Which is okay. a, uh, yeah, yeah. a a guy who's done carbon and silicium, who's doing uh, some kind of science fiction uh, stories, which are which are rather also interesting to check. I, I I think that carbon and silicium might be translated at least in English, so that's something you might want to uh, to check. Mm. Uh, and th those two will allow you to get into uh, into this level. And the last one I I had listed was something that is actually in a in a uh, big publishing house. It's uh, Dupuis. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's okay. called Bunker. Uh, it's by ah, Camille yes, Pouli. Yes, yes. yes. So, yeah, that's the one. And it's I a book it that's <laughs> that's uh, uh, it's a book that's being published by uh, Stéphane Beaujean, so who used to be at the Angoulême Festival, and is trying to bring that kind of uh, more edgy. Uh, Kind of thing, and it shows also the kind of uh, the way the uh, the lines on the market on the on the industry has have become really blurred. Where you can have those kind of things. It's the first book. Uh, it's uh, it's about By Camille Pouli. Camille Pouli. Yeah. Uh, it's his first book. It's uh, based. Uh, it's uh, set in the early uh, knots. I think it's two thousand six or seven, something like that. It's never told, but basically, it's based on the. Uh, the place where he grew up, uh, 
and and it's about what it means to be teenagers in uh, the north of France uh, in a place where there's not much to do and uh, you know uh, and when you're left by yourself and, uh, and it's really well done it's a, it's a very very uh, good story but again it shows also this kind of uh, of blurred lines that exist now between those things that are a graphic novel that used to be at, in the independent publishing house and that are now contaminating the big publishing houses uh, but uh, it's, it's all... social realism with like this very loose line that you that mm. almost remind me my, my, reminds me of sort of alternative italian comics from the 80s or something like that uh and there's a the way yeah the way he handles the uh, the bodies of the characters because basically the main character is this uh this girl jessica who doesn't want to be uh seen as a girl so she cuts her hair short she hides her her breasts she's wearing overalls and uh uh well tracksuits and uh, she she plays soccer with the boys and she doesn't want to she di- she doesn't know exactly where she stands and and uh, and there's a lot of things the way the the body are represented and it's all happening around a bunker hence the title yeah. and the bunker is this place where people go to have sex but also it's uh, it's uh, also a reflection on the way that she might be you know kind of protecting trying to build an armor against people around you know it's a, it, there's plenty of meanings and it's a, uh, I think it was one of the uh, uh, of the great uh, new books that uh, that I got to read last year, especially for first book. It's uh, it's really uh, a, a uh, very good uh, good example, mm-hmm. and it's not going for the you know just the 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 pure aesthetics. There's really something in terms mm-hmm. of the way the characters are are expressed, and also without a lot of words. If you look at the 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 book, I think the first ten or twelve pages, there's only uh, she says only shit at one point, and that's the only thing that she says for the the first twelve pages. That it's it's a book about people who don't like to talk. Yeah. So it's definitely at the opposite of the kind of books we were talking about. Exactly. Uh, this yeah. is what I was. I mean, this is the kind of thing that has a hard time being finding those huge readerships because it doesn't have all the text that you get to hold yeah. your hand. <laughs> Det blev de sidste ord om franske tegneserier i denne omgang. Hvis du har lyst til mere, ja, så har vi jo tidligere lavet flere episoder om emnet, blandt andet om Adele, Asterix, Möbius, Michel, Charlie Hebdo og Ria Tatouf, og dem vil vi selvfølgelig opfordre til at lytte til, hvis du ikke kan få nok. Udover det, ja, så skal du selvfølgelig læse nogle flere tegneserier, og det kan du blive inspireret til via vores Instagram, som vi vil blive meget glade for, hvis du vil gå ind og følge. Og så vil vi bare lige sige tak til Xavier Geber endnu en gang for at være med. Tak til Statens Kunstfond for at have støttet os. Og en tak til dig for at have lyttet med. Tak for nu.